afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to call in the ancestors, to call in my own ancestors and your ancestors, and the ancestral line of our guest today, as well as the ancestral lines of all of her many teachers and the ancestral lines of all of my many teachers, and we will have a very, very eclectic group of ancestors gathered around us here today, and in particular, I call in those ancestors who danced, I call in these ancestors to gather around us here today to hold space for us that we may speak today with joy and heart about the spirit of dance and the power of this spirit to move us to change and to heal and to transform. So we call in to those ancestors who know what I am talking about from their own lives and their own experience to gather around us here today to hold us well. I call out to the energy of earth to be with us. It is on her back that we dance, and may we dance with feet that give her a beautiful massage and let her know that we love this home and that we are willing to dance and to change and to transform, to celebrate and to come together and to live better together and let dance be a part of that. We call it out to the energy of the sky above to bring us down blessing and protection and generosity and all the benevolence of this amazing universe in which we inhabit and to bring into us the wisdom of the cosmos to draw all of these energies down from the sky realms to infuse us and to inspire us and help us to move in that dance beyond our own boundaries into the realms of the other world. So we call out to these energies of the sky, of the earth, and the ancestors to hold us well, that we might gather around here together in this non-local circle. And I call out into the center of this circle the energy of our hearts and the powerful energy of the heart that drives the dance with that deep core rhythm and the energy of the heart that creates space for the true passions of our life and the clarity of our mind to come together and forge within each one of us the knowing of our soul's true purpose. So I call out to these energies to be with us here today, to hold us well, and to create beautiful space for us to be together today to discuss the power of dance and to welcome our guest, Marsha Scarborough. Marsha, thank you for being with us here today. Well, my pleasure, Christina. So everybody, Marcia is the author of Medicine Dance. It is a lovely book which describes her healing journey into the world of Native American sweat lodges, drumming meditations, dance fasts, and probably other things she probably didn't even include in the book. But anyway, it's a wonderful journey. And her book is available everywhere, bookstores, it's on Amazon. They probably got the price of her book right. We shop at Powell's, www.powells.com. You can find her book there. I checked. And you can also find her book on her website. And her website is www.medicinedancebook.com. And so you can also read about Marcia there and see that she is available for readings, lectures, private consultations, workshops, and other things. But today, we're going to talk about the power of dance 
And much of what is in her book she's already written, and probably the one she's working on, will come out as we discuss here today. But first, Marsha, how in the world did you get from being a, you know, everyday personal power woman working in L.A., doing all those ordinary reality work kinds of things, into a woman who's traveling around the world with these crazy shaman dancing people? Well... Of course, it was a long journey, and it continues, but it started with a terrible time of crisis in my life when everything was falling apart. Um, my parents were both dying. My career in the movie business, I was working in Hollywood as an assistant director, was headed downhill pretty fast. My 18-year marriage was crumbling, and on top of all that, I got a bad mammogram. And when you get a bad mammogram here uh, in America, they call, they call and give you the news, and, of course, you're terrified, and they say, well, you need to come in for another one. And I'm like, okay, I'll come in tomorrow. And they say, oh, we're sorry, we can't give you an appointment for two weeks. And so you worry about it for two weeks, and you go in, and they look at it and say, well, it's not conclusive. You really need to see a specialist. Um, so, uh, okay, let's see them this afternoon. No, we're sorry. You can't get an appointment for two weeks. So you wait another two weeks, and then you see the specialist, and then he thinks he needs an ultrasound, and you have to wait another two weeks for that. And I was going crazy, just feeling powerless, fearful, terror running through me that, you know, I was full of cancer and there was nothing I could do about it. And in that time, a friend in Los Angeles called and said, there's a Native American medicine man in town doing private healings. And I said, sign me up without knowing any more than that. And not that that had been a particular interest of mine, although I was always kind of interested in it, but I had certainly not studied it or anything but that it was something that appeared in my path at that moment. It was something I could do. So I went to a private session with beautiful painted arrow, Joseph Rael, and he did what I now know is energy work, and at that time I didn't know what it was. But um, looking at my energy, moving energy through my body, and as he did that, I saw that there was something lodged in my breast, in an, an image in my mind, and he took it out with what I now know is the classic shamanic extraction. I didn't know what it was at that time. And as part of that, I said to him, I feel like my mother put it there. And he said, would you like to have a ceremony to be able to communicate with your mother, who had died by that point? And I said, yes. So he gave me this ceremony to do that resulted in me now traveling back and forth in non-ordinary reality. Um, and I knew what a non-ordinary reality was, and I was kind of astounded that now I was in and out of it and part of it. Shortly after that, I went for the ultrasound, and they found nothing at all and were didn't understand why they had even called me in. So then I was hooked. There was something really interesting here, something that worked. And... Shortly after that, I was talking to a very close woman friend of mine who lived in Albuquerque. We had both um, been friends from college. We were both divorced, had no children, were estranged from our sisters, had nursed our mothers through dying of cancer. Um, and 
she said to me, I was telling her about this whole thing, she said, well, what would happen to us if, if we did get serious cancer? Who would take care of us the way we took care of our mothers? And I said, well, let's just say right now that we would take care of each other. So we did. We made that sort of agreement. And within a month, she was diagnosed with really serious cancer. She lived 15 minutes from where Beautiful Painted Arrow was living in New Mexico at that time. So I went to be with her and was in the position to be consulting with him and working with her and learning more and more about the healing process through that. So that was the beginning. And then the story in Medicine Dance is how I'm drawn deeper and deeper into uh, learning about shamanic healing firsthand through experience just by circumstance. And so then how does that move you into the the dancing piece and the drumming and the dance fasts? The way that Beautiful Painted Arrow works, his primary method of healing is through drumming and the extended uh, marathon dance fast. So, you know, after this So just for our healing, listeners, give give them a sense of how long that marathon is. Uh, there are three to four days. There you go, dancing, people. <laughs> three to four days dancing, usually in a group, with outdoors, with no food and no water. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, when people ask me to sum up my book in one sentence, I say, it's like eat, pray, love, but without food or water. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so, and and so this this is just the a key part of his practice, his traditions. It's it, the primary way that he works. Now, one thing to say about beautiful painted arrow is he doesn't call himself traditional because mm-hmm. he he works with non-native people as well as native mm-hmm. people, but he has adapted the ceremonies for people of different cultures and for our contemporary times. So uh, it's, you know, not strictly traditional, and I'm sure there's things that are not included for non-natives, and I don't know what those are, so mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know, mm-hmm. but I know that what I experienced really healed me and changed my life. And so then are there other highlights along this journey for you and your relationship with dance and healing and medicine? Oh, absolutely. It's obviously important since (laughs) you're still here to tell about it, thank goodness. But what are some of the other highlights or pivotal points, I guess? Well, after that initial um, experience with my friend and as part of that, he got me involved in Sweat Lodge, which I find to be just an infinitely practical healing method for anybody, and I highly recommend it. So that was kind of one step. And then from there, he said, you need to dance, and I didn't really know what that entailed. And so, you know, the first dance he got me involved in was the drum, what he calls the drum dance, which is a three-day dance in a linear formation, dancing back and forth to feathers. And then um, after I had done that a number of times, I got involved in the sun-moon dance, which is a variation on the southern ute sun dance that Mm -hmm. is uh, a circular dance moving back and forth to a tree that's four days. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so, you know, those were like the the sort of signposts along the, the way of dance. 
Beautiful. And then are there other people that you found along the way that have added to your relationship with dance? Yes, I've learned some things from Brooke Medicine Eagle, but Mm -hmm. at the same time overlapping with a lot of the work with Joseph Rael, I began working with a West African teacher uh, who is a Yoruba Yoruba Babalao, who is a master drummer, and learning the dance from that perspective, which is very different but also really powerful. So what I'd like to explore um, as we come back from this upcoming break is um, to just kind of compare and contrast a little bit from the sense of how how they were different so that our listeners can understand more, especially because, you know, we have to remember we're talking to people that don't dance, if you can imagine that, right? And so let's compare and contrast them a little bit and also um, actually talk about the aspects of dance that you've feel are so powerful because I know that in this culture it's often hard for people to recognize that the dance is the medicine you know the song is the medicine that 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 things other than pharmaceuticals or even plants are medicine and so let's explore that when we return from this break Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we are have the pleasure of speaking with Marsha Scarborough, and we are talking about the power of dance, dance as a transformational tool, as a healing tool, dance as medicine. And so Marsha was just talking with us about working with um, two different masters, really, in two different traditions, and so I wanted to just explore with her right now what were some of the differences and to have her describe some of the things that she felt were really powerful about these two practices. So well, I think I'll start with a similarity in mm-hmm. that in indigenous cultures, as I understand it from the teachers I've worked with, that dance is not a performance. Dance is a meditation for the dancer. So it, when, like here in New Mexico where I live, the Pueblos still have the village dances at the feast days, which is around this time of year. And everyone in the village dances, from little children to grandmothers. And they dance at the level that they can dance. And there is no audience. Now, here in New Mexico, sometimes people do come in and watch these dances, but it, they are not intended for the audience. They're a deep meditation. So the rhythm of the drumming takes you into the non-ordinary reality, the altered holotropic state, without the use of any drugs or plants or any other kind of medicine, but you are in essentially a vision quest that's induced through rhythm and repetitive movement. So that's, you know, the kind of overarching way that they're similar. Now and they both forms are using this. And both forms and, and, are using this. Yes. And and other cultures, too, that I haven't, you know, specifically mm-hmm. studied. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Beautiful Painted Arrow would feel that the, the drumming alone is enough to induce the altered state of consciousness in almost anyone, and that the use of plants, uh, to enter an altered state is kind of only needed by the remedial students, the <laughs> sort of really hard-headed ones who, who can't get there just through drumming, but most people can get there simply through rhythm. 
Mm-hmm. So the the rhythms themselves are prayers. The the dance movement of the body is prayer also, and the trance state that you enter then is the state of vision when you're where you are in direct communication with spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um, and- and so then what were some of the things that you felt are distinct between the two? The rhythms they use are very different. The Native American rhythms are are very kind of simple and repetitive. And they, they just take you really deep into this meditative state and keep you there for hours and days at a time. The Africans rhythms are much more complicated, the polyrhythms where there are rhythms over rhythms, and they're much more high energy, so that the the dance is more, uh, does a lot more to raise energy, uh, and the Native American rhythms take you really deep into the sort of void of meditation. So they're okay. mm-hmm. quite different in that way. And the, the Africans will go definitely go on all night, the Native Americans will go on for days. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Uh, the Africans don't necessarily fast food and water. They may fast mm-hmm. something, or you know, there may be, you know, but but you know, this, the very um, the ascetic uh, practice of the fasting food and water I find more particular to the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, any other interesting similarities or differences that you have found? Um, well, you know, just the, um, the, the entering of the altered state and then the, from there, the accessing of, uh, emotional material that may have been hidden or covered, uh, tends to come up. Um, the sun moon dance, as we learned it from, uh, Joseph Rael, had a really unique, quality, which I think is particular to the southern youths, who do not do piercing in the way that the Lakotas do that we know about, but um, there's a tree in the center of the corral, and if spirit calls you during the dance, some of the dancers run and intentionally collide with the tree Mm -hmm. as a way of shifting an assemblage point. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's pretty unique to that particular culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so so what we're so what we're talking about is is the ways in which movement and sound, so the rhythms and the movements and and just the ongoing nature of it are being used to to help people to access their own altered states, their own relationship with spirit and ultimately um aspects of themselves like you said emotional material or you know information internally that may have been hidden in the ordinary waking life is now suddenly available as you move into this um altered state um and that and what i find interesting and i think it's really important for people to grow in our understanding because as americans we're fairly ignorant about altered states or addictive about altered states is that there's lots of altered states. There's lots of um, different energetic situations in which we are accessing spirit, and we can often access different things in different states. But um, with, with that said, 
you know, even if we're talking about dance in general or rhythm in general, they still, those two things still give us access to a whole range of altered states. Um, You know, as I always say, that the human being has the capacity to access an infinite range of altered states. The shamanic altered states are, are a part of that pie, you know, part of that range. But even within that, you have dance and rhythm in different um, relationships sending you into different qualities of altered states. And it's, so it's important for us, I think, as Westerners to come to understand, yes, there are many altered states. Probably the majority of them are medicinal if they're manifest in an intentional way. I mean, this is the other thing I see. Marcia, in your stories is that in all of these, this is the use of these rhythm movement-based induction into these altered states and that they're all being shaped and directed beautifully towards healing and transformation. Or and that there's certain information that's that's input when you have when you are in the altered state which I think then makes it much more potent. In the African um version of it there's chanting and it, you know in the Yoruba language which is a tonal language but the content of the chanting is essentially affirmations. I am alive and well. You know, abundance is coming to me or, or, or something like that would be it in translation. Mm-hmm. And it's very repetitive. So you're, you dance to the point of, of trance and then you're also repeating this positive information to be imprinted in your psyche. And in the Native American uh, version where you're deep in this deep meditation for for days, you've also been given this really difficult task, which is to go without food or water for three or four days, which is extremely challenging. And, you know, I, in the book, described being just obsessed with the thirst. I mean, pretty soon the food isn't even an issue because you are so thirsty. It's beyond anything that you've ever imagined. And when you do accomplish that, that conclusion of the ceremony is is very much of um, rewarding you and reinforcing your your strength and courage in doing that. So it makes you feel good about yourself and raises your self-esteem while you're deeply in the altered state, which I think does a tremendous amount toward curing addictions and, um, you know, healing in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think, um, you know, that's a very intentional shaping of it. Yes, yes. And one of the things, this seems to segue into one of the things you said before the last break, which is that um, both of these um, dance practices were extremely powerful, but powerful in different ways. And this, you seem to be beginning to touch on that now. Um, is there any anything more you'd like to share? I mean, there's there's the shaping of the space. There's the shaping of the ritual itself. There's this introduction in the Yoruba tradition of the language of the affirmations. Is there anything else that as you reflect back on it now that you think is part of what makes it um, powerful? In both traditions, the the dance itself is preceded by uh, preparation for the dance, which is intentional community building activity. In the Native American ones, there's often a, a corral that is built that that 
becomes the container for the dance and the creating of the sacred space. Well, in the building of the crowd, then these people you're meeting perhaps for the first time, um, you are now forced to work with them and, you know, learn how to get along in accomplishing a task that starts to bonding you into a community before the dance itself actually starts. And in the African version, there's the preparing of uh, uh, these elaborate offerings and a, a, a quite um, interesting altar will be built where everyone is contributing to the, the task of preparing the space. So I think, you know, those things are in common, that, that you come into community with the other dancers before you start. Um, and then they both are followed by a feasting together with the other dancers and an embracing of the abundance that has been created in the activity of the dance. Beautiful. And the other thing I I would add about Mm -hmm. why it works as and how it works as healing is that the the metaphysics behind it and beautiful painted arrow articulates this beautifully and I would recommend his most recent book called Sound where it's almost an encyclopedia of uh, this type of philosophy that Everything is created of vibration. So they have known forever that nothing is really solid. And that's what quantum physics is affirming now, that everything is just electrons moving, you know, atoms are not solid and string theory and all this sort of thing. So a beautiful painted arrow would say, you know, we, we are music. We are composed in the way that music is composed. We're simply vibration. So drumming, chanting, and repetitive movement affects vibration. So this type of healing through dance, through chanting and drumming, realigns vibrations in a healthy and positive way and therefore can affect material reality like our bodies and create healing. Well, Marsha, this is really an important point that I think we certainly could come back around to because it is important for us to understand that we are living in the time when science is coming full circle and now explaining to us and doing the math for us for why shamanism works. So when we come back from this break, let's go back into this and explore a little bit more the the metaphysics, basically, of why dance and drumming and chanting Um, can help us to heal why it is medicine. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we have the great pleasure of speaking with Marcia Scarborough, and we're talking together about the power of dance, dance as medicine. And um, this is one of my favorite topics, and it is part of the reason we are starting off the new year to talk about it, because In my own practice, I find that so much can be accomplished so effectively, so permanently, and so, relatively speaking, easily if we'll just shut up and dance. (laughs) Not to be rude or anything. Precisely, beautifully put. (laughs) (laughs) And so what we are doing here uh, in this this afternoon is we've gotten to the point where we're talking, Marsha's talking really beautifully about 
um, the metaphysics, really, of why dance works. It does, and frankly, y'all could just trust us and get up and dance, but, but there is a why to it. There is a reason. And so, Marcia, you were talking about just the, the, the basic core reason, which is that everything is vibration. And so in these, with dancing and chanting and drumming, we're now working intentionally with vibration. It reminds me of, um, I can't remember whether you were at that conference where we had the, um, the Shipibo shamans who work with song, and they see everything as song and pattern. And they hear yes, everything. Yeah, by re-singing the song. The song is torn. Right. The song is broken. Let's just re-sing it until it re-fixes itself. It's and, and the Australian uh, Aboriginals also who work with the song lines, mm-hmm. and, you know, singing the land. And yeah. I think here in New Mexico where the Pueblo people have been dancing uh, regularly for probably at least 2,000 years, that the energy from the dance, the, the vibrations that they are realigning, actually goes into the earth. And that's partly why we call New Mexico the land of enchantment, but also why, although we've had uh, Los Alamos here where the atom bomb was developed and all this, you know, misuse of uranium and nuclear power has taken place, we haven't had, knock on wood to date, um, any three-mile island-type horrible uh, accidents, I think because the, the Pueblo people keep putting the good energy into the land. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So was there more that you would, would share with us, um, maybe from Beautiful Painted Arrow, but just about, you know, what you've been learning from your teachers about why dance and drumming and chanting can heal? Well, another uh, point that's relative to what you said about just shut up and dance is the reason that's so true is that the part of our mind uh, that is verbal and dealing with words tends to be uh, a linear kind of logic where everything is moving in straight lines. And the part of us that is nonverbal, where we're praying just through movement and through rhythm, is the, the spiraling part uh, of our energy. And so in Beautiful Painted Arrow's language, Tiwa, T-I-W-A, which is spoken by Picris Pueblo and Taos Pueblo and Sandia Pueblo, only three Pueblos speak it, um, is a language where there are no nouns because nothing is solid. Everything is simply energy moving. So there's no Christina, there is only energy in the process of Christine-ing. <laughs> so that, you know, that energy moves in spirals and circles, which is why a lot of these languages were never written. And when they are written, or even when I try to write about them in the book, I'm taking a, a moving, spiraling energy, and Beautiful Painted Arrow would say, I'm freezing it into a grid. And once mm-hmm. I freeze it into a grid, then it, the truth of it stops evolving and changing the way mm-hmm. that it does in the spiraling world. And yeah. the truth becomes kind of stuck. Yes, yes. And so the so way that the and, medicine wheel turns, that all the energy turns, and that's what we're accessing in dance, is keeping the energy moving 
because as the wheel is moving, then we're in balance and we're healthy. Well, and this is the piece, I think, that has been so challenging for Westerners to really understand about these indigenous practices and their shamanic practices, is um, once you can pin it down, and as you said, fit it, you know, create a grid with it, it's not the thing anymore. Exactly. And, and, and while we have this great need and hunger and thirst and desire for talking about it, maybe we should fast <laughs> for four days. <laughs> um, uh, but, but that's the thing that, that is so challenging for our culture as it gets more and more verbal and more and more focused on you know, text messaging. I think eventually it's finally going to probably flip over into itself and we'll end up with a language again that has no vowels. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know but but truly recognizing that that if you can tell someone who God is you've missed the point. You know right. it's the Tao that you call the Tao is isn't the Tao. The Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao. You know like and this is what these people understood which is why they danced like you said it's the reason that they did things other than writing stuff down and talking about it because you aren't doing it anymore, then you're not accessing those energies. And this is one of the ways that I even just describe shamanism to people is they say, well, isn't this just my intuition? It's like, well, no, it's extending those natural capacities to spiral, essentially, into this realm so that they become bigger, more powerful. You can use them with intention to start to make things happen. That it gets beyond our ability to talk about our intuition to surrendering into it, becoming it, evolving through it. You know, we we stop having words to really talk about it anymore, which you know from trying to talk about it in your book. Right. And then but the I other be... aspect that we haven't mm-hmm. talked about it is when they it's done in a group, intentionally mm-hmm. uh, danced in a group and going into trance together with a specified positive intention set out at the beginning. And that's when you really get energy moving in the intentional positive direction. And then you're looking at, at global change. And so these dances that Beautiful Painted Arrow uh, taught, and which are still going on with other teachers, because he has retired now, but he has empowered other people to be teaching them, there are always the overarching intention is always world peace. You can mm-hmm. have personal healing intention under underneath that, but these are dances for world peace. And so when the group enters, the rhythm starts, and that movement is all together, then you know huge potential for positive change there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 in my experience. Part of the thing that happens in that, when you are gathered together, you do all share this focused intent, and you are committing, essentially, the the energy of the ritual or the ceremony to something like peace or the healing of the land or whatever it is that's bigger than the people gathered there, that, that the fact that you as an individual have placed yourself in this container that's now going to get bigger than you it allows things to happen for you as an individual that couldn't happen if you didn't get in that big a process. You know, as long as it's just you 
and your energy, there's only a, there's so much that you can do. But when you make your own energy energetically, your vibrations available to this group that that are now moving together and 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 um, in training in many ways together, that you're moved into places that you wouldn't go otherwise, and that can mean insight. It can mean healing. It can mean any number of things that one wouldn't necessarily access dancing that exact same dance by yourself. Precisely. And then yeah, another thing that be- that beautiful mm-hmm. painted arrow goes into in uh, in his teachings and in his new book particularly is um, that the vowel sounds in chanting um, and you know you see that really cross culturally the like om appears mm-hmm. everywhere in all these languages that uh, each of the vowel sounds has a, a different spiritual um, meaning. And that, you know, you're putting these vowel sounds together in ways that uh, invoke certain spiritual energies. So then that's on top of the movement and the drumming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also part of the Yoruba tradition as well in the speaking yes, very, of the prayers. Yes, very, very the... similar. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Well, um we are about to go into another break here, if you can believe that already. Um, and as we go into that break, though, I would like for our listeners to think for a moment about some song, somewhere in their life, that has simply captured them. And, and the vibration, the rhythm, the, the melody, the singer's voice, all the vibrational qualities of that song has has entered into their body and whether they are a dancer or not has made them want to dance because i like for you all as as marsh and i here are talking we both love dancing and so we're going blah 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 about dancing but i would like every one of you to tune in to that time in your life where a vibration just took you and made you feel like dancing whether you did or didn't dance isn't the point the point is that you felt your body infused by a rhythm or a vibration and you were moved by it. Because this is what we're talking about, is that natural human capacity being shaped and sculpted and used by practitioners with intention to create great beauty and um, power, really, to do to bring love in the, its most healing sense into the world. So as we go into this break, everybody just take a moment and remember sometime, somewhere, somehow, when sound came into your body and took you somewhere else. And we'll be back after this break. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we are talking about the power of dance, the power of dance as medicine and as healing and rhythm, um, vibration with Marsha Scarborough. And Marsha, talk to us a little bit more now about the um, uniqueness and the beautiful things that you've learned from working with your Yoruba um, teacher. Well, I was uh, referring or thinking about what you said just before the break about a, a, a vibration, a rhythm that caught you and made you want to dance. And when you dance to the live African drumming and even to the Native American drumming as well, it's it, the drum catches you and the drum lifts you up and moves you. 
and that's really a thrilling experience where then the the drummers and the dancers are caught in a nonverbal conversation, a, a, a dialogue of movement and vibration. And my African teacher, who is the master drummer, uh, would say that the the drum is a sacred altar in itself. And if you know, he would be teaching drumming, and somebody would put their you know paper cup on top of their drum like it was a coffee table. He would just go nuts because it's not a coffee table. Don't put your feet on it. Don't put your. It's a sacred altar because a a tree died to create this, and an animal died to create this. And then with our energy, we make them live again, and that's a sacred act. And we have our drum inside of us. It is our heart, and we always carry that drum. But when we play the drum, that's that heart that's in our body is is our battery. But the drum that we play with our hands is the charger for that battery. And the healing works in that way, too. We charge ourselves up as, you know, put the energy back in that battery so that we keep running like the Energizer Bunny. (laughs) And then he would say that, you know, when you put your hand, or in the case of Native Americans, you're using a beater, on the head of the drum, that is you connecting with Mother Earth and praying to Mother Earth and saying, may every movement that I make here be a source of healing, and may it bless. And then the hand that's not up, uh, that's not on the drum head, but is up, because they always alternate hands, is a prayer to Father Sky, saying, hear these prayers for healing, and let us be blessed. So the alternating movement of one hand on the drum and one hand up, as you're playing the rhythm, is a constant cycle of prayer to Mother Earth and Father Sky. And this also is part of the facilitating of the healing, the making of the vibration. That is so beautiful. I didn't actually know that. I've I've watched and been part of so much African rhythm and African dance, but I never knew that beautiful earth sky prayer in the drumming. It's gorgeous. Yeah, so you know, that that's part of how it works. And yeah, then wonderful. Yeah. So, as as uh, what? So, what caught you into into this part of the into this particular teacher, and what what was the thing that you that really moved you about this work, or that you've learned? Well, I, th- about? I think the 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 visceralness of it that you know it, it's something that's um, it's not in your head. It's not something you can make an intellectual decision about. It's you know, taking you into your whole self, where every part of you, your, you know, all four uh, points of the wheel are integrated into, you know, the 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 overall healing that invi- involves your entire body, your heart, your emotions, your mind, and you know that it's all working together at once, you know, through through the dance, through rhythm. And, um, you know, it just seemed to me that it it was on a, such a, a multi-level uh, and dynamic beyond something that you could define intellectually that, it, it, you know, just really attracted me. 
So, Marcia, where would you be today if there was no rhythm and there was no dance in our world? I think I would probably be sadder and um, feel less alive. You know, for me, I mean, and I dance, we have African dance here in Santa Fe. I dance every week for sure and try to dance a little bit every day because it does change my energy and really, um, you know, raise my vibration that makes it much easier for me to be in the flow of life and enjoy things and not, not try to control things because I think in, in the drumming and the responding to the drumming, you understand that, you know, it's all a flow. It all is moving back and forth. It's going to move you. You don't, you don't have to make a lot of decisions about it. Right. And that those things of spirit that are so powerful to move us are the things that we can't lock into the grid, you know, that we need to be in spiral motion, you know, in motion, basically, to be in relationship with them. And in so response to everything that's happening in our environment and in our mm-hmm. relationships and, and all that, be constantly responding and in the nonverbal dialogue with life. Well, so, so in many ways, that first mammogram that you received was a blessing in disguise. A tremendous blessing. And I think if, any, if there's one message that I want people to come away with in, in the book, it's that how these things that are really seem like such horrible problems and great difficulties are the beginning of journeys that can take us really deep into healing. And that you need to follow your own inspiration because although dance was the thing that caught me, for you it might be something completely different. And you should follow that. And and even if it seems really crazy to all the other people in your life and around you because, you know, what I did really did seem crazy to my family and other people. The four days, no food, no water, and running into a tree you know, I kind of caught a lot of flack for that. <laughs> but it was but definitely it is, the right thing for me. And I think right. if you follow your heart, it will be the right thing for you. Then it is important, though, everyone, to hear that, you know, you have to remember that point at which she's in the medical system, not that there's anything wrong with the medical system, but the friend says, hey, there's this healer over here. And she just went and did it. She didn't know. She didn't have a, you know, a resume. She didn't necessarily even know why. And that, I think, is the important thing about following those moments in life when the crazy logic comes to knock on the door is you open it and you go and just let what needs to happen happen. Um, Because, of course, the grid that you're stuck in is the one that's got cancer. So you have to get out of the grid to find a different life. And there are many, 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 many different lives available to you at every moment. You simply have to be willing to get off your grid. And you don't (laughs) know necessarily what the result's going to be. You just have to dance. Exactly. You just have to do it. Exactly. So, Marcia, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. I want to remind people that her book, Medicine Dance, is available. And you can find Marcia and her book at her website, medicinedancebook.com. And um, I want to thank the ancestors for being with us here today, and in particular the ancestors that um, brought your teachers to us, that you could enjoy them, Marsha, and that you could share them with us. Give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and to the heart energy that unites us all. 
Um, and once again, Marcia, thank you so much for sharing your path with us and your love of dance and the healing that it can bring. My pleasure, Christina, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, and so all together now, everybody's going to go out this week, and you're going to, at least once somewhere in your life, shut up and dance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thank you all. <laughs> <laughs>